Why shouldn't we be surprised that this pandemic has exposed immorality, callousness and incompetence of government? So should we be surprised that state-sanctioned censorship is very evident in this environment? In the US, advice from the nation's chief medical advisor has swung from one extreme to the other with no explanation. Just watch this. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common sense that it likely would be more effective. And that's the reason why you see people either double masking or doing a version of an N95. Government policies have been contradictory and in some cases dangerous in New York City, leading to deaths of the aged and now on the southern border. There's been manipulation of COVID-19 statistics and targeted suppression by big tech and mainstream media. In Australia, things are not much better. As in the US, there's been little accountability of government. Even in Victoria, where bungled hotel quarantine led to hundreds of deaths. No scientific evidence has been offered anywhere to justify widespread lockdowns and the trampling of individual freedoms. We've also witnessed the silencing of imminent medical experts seeking to provide evidence-based information to save lives, your lives. Why in Australia and the USA, in contrast to many other countries? Is there no early treatment for COVID-19? And why aren't responsible members of the federal government and practicing experts not allowed to talk about it? And what's next? We can't ask questions about these new and very expensive vaccines. By the way, the bungling continues in Victoria. Victorian authorities have held crisis talks of the worsening United Kingdom mutant strain outbreak in Melbourne. And now there's a new lockdown. Authorities are not only concerned about the growing holiday in cluster, but they're worried about the virus fragments detected in wastewater across Melbourne. Emergency Management Victoria fear they have lost control of the outbreak, describing scenes of pandemonium at the agency. There's even reports, now wait for it, after the bungling a few months ago by the Victorian government and the hotel quarantine, there's even reports of staff not wearing PPE in the quarantine hotels. Shameful, absolutely dreadful. Chairman Dan Andrews and his incompetent Politburo need to go now. And for God's sake, can't the media anywhere in the world start just doing your job instead of being the PR firm for government and big tech? Do your job. Dr. Peter McCullough is board certified by the American Board of Internal Medicine in Internal Medicine and Cardiovascular Disease. He has a master's in public health in epidemiology and has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. Dr. McCullough, thank you very much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Given the ongoing controversy, have any Australian 
advisory board members or medical officers contacted you to learn about the successful early treatment protocols of COVID-19? Yes, I've been in close communication with uh, Eamon Matheson of the COVID Medical uh, Network in Australia. And uh, it's been clear over time that early ambulatory treatment is a game changer in terms of reducing hospitalization and death. Does the early treatment controversy in countries such as Australia and the US relate to the use of hydroxychloroquine or is it something else? I think it's something much bigger. Uh, We've never relied on hydroxychloroquine alone. It does have a positive effect, but uh, clinically we use four four to six different drugs in combination to address uh, the early viral replication and then the cytokine storm uh, and then the thrombosis or blood clotting uh, features of the illness. We basically have borrowed from principals in the hospital and have learned that we can treat this largely as an outpatient. So I think it's much more than just a single drug. And those who have an interest in blocking any early home treatment, I I think those individuals really have to have a self-appraisal of what they're accomplishing at this point in time. Maybe if they let doctors be doctors, we may be on the right track. Well, you know, it's a mindset that is really incredible. Uh, Over the last year, there has been a mindset that's developed in so many countries that COVID-19 is not treatable, that it's a hopeless situation, and that once one contracts the virus, that they must sit at home and just get progressively more ill until they are nearly uh, at death's doorstep and then uh, get taken to the hospital. And this mindset has uh, has crept in all over. In fact, in the media, uh, in the United States and elsewhere in the world, there's no mention of early treatment. There's actually no mention now of hospital treatment. We have in the United States, we have FDA approved emergency use authorization monoclonal antibodies, one by a company, Lilly, another one by Regeneron. These are revolutionary therapies that are pre-purchased by the government and free to patients. And it's so easy for doctors to order them. And guess what, Mike? They're sitting on the shelf, not even being used. So we have a mindset now of therapeutic nihilism. It seems like the patients have given up, the doctors have given up, and the the only narrative that's even available now in the media, uh, besides uh, lockdowns and wearing masks and being in fear, is to be saved by the vaccine. And we have just a, a constant steady wave of information regarding the vaccine. And we we have to think that right now, patients are suffering and dying. We have effective therapies and they're not being used. Why does our approach, say, to this pandemic differ from previous experiences? Well, COVID-19, interestingly, is the only potentially fatal illness uh, that we have not developed a mindset of treating early. Now, I've been leading a, a group in the United States on early treatment from the onset I published the first uh, treatment guidance in August of uh, 2020 in the American Journal of Medicine and the follow-up guidance in the uh, December 30th issue of Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine. These are both peer-reviewed journals. But I was um, amazed that as we put these papers together, we're now at over 100,000 peer-reviewed manuscripts in the world on COVID-19, and you're looking at the only person as first author who's published an approach of what to do about the problem. We have guidelines from the National Institutes of Health, the uh, Centers for Disease Control, World Health Organization, um, and Infectious Disease Society of America. Not a single set of guidelines tells doctors what to do at home. They're all focused on the hospital. 
and uh, or focused on other aspects of contagion control. So in my view, there's been a global blunder in our way that we think about this illness. This illness is potentially fatal. It starts out as a, as a very mild syndrome, and it's very treatable in the first few days of illness. In fact, it's treatable easily for two weeks at home uh, in order to avoid hospitalization and death. Actually, if you look at it as from an economics point of view, I suppose you would save on doctors because we won't treat you anymore. I mean, if you did the same thing to cancer and to other diseases, there would be this uproar. Yet with COVID, um, there seems to be this great zipper approach, like zip, don't say a word. You know, it's, it's either don't say a word or don't offer any hope. Mm. It is amazing. Let's say in the United States, we must have thousands and thousands of newscasters on every local and national news uh, uh, channel and every news uh, segment and not a single broadcaster, even once in their mind, has it come into uh, their thinking that they should give the public an update about early treatment with COVID-19. We're handing out test result after test result by the millions to, pay, to individuals, and there's no information given to them about what can be done at home, what medicines could be effective. Just so in the United States, we got to a, a frustration point, and fortunately, one society... Uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons uh, worked uh, with our, my team and others, and we now have a home treatment guide. This has been available since October, and we honestly think it should be a standard. As we hand out a test result, we should be handing out a guide to patients telling them what's available and what can be done. So, Peter, do you think the media has um, played a part in this, uh, I suppose, fear factor at the moment? I think the media is playing a great role in everything that we see and understand regarding the pandemic. In fact, I think the media is shaping the course of the pandemic. And from the very outset, uh, the media uh, reported uh, test positive cases and deaths. In fact, Johns Hopkins University in the United States had a scoreboard. In uh, the, the, uh, as soon as the pandemic started, the scoreboard appeared on the screen and, and through every uh, uh, news piece, there was these uh, rising curves of deaths and uh, uh, cases. And then over time, there became a narrative. Interestingly, the media doctors were always from prominent institutions. Uh, they always had a commentary about COVID being a bad thing and how um, uh, the victims, the people who are getting COVID, uh, should uh, uh wear masks more, be in lockdown, avoid congregate settings, use hand sanitizer. So the, the media program was always bad news and blame the victim. And this went on for months until it became known that the problem was going to be addressed with a vaccine. And I think this basically became known in about May. And when that happened, all interest in treatments, therapies, any innovation that was all shoved to the side and then we had a steady narrative. The vaccine is coming. The vaccine's going to save us. Uh, more bad news. Blame the victim. Wait for the vaccine. And it just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And so when the vaccine basically became available, Moderna and Pfizer vaccine became available in December, all regulatory science was completely ignored. These vaccines uh, excluded uh, children women of childbearing age, pregnant women, COVID recovered, suspected prior COVID, those with positive serologies. And in fact, when the vaccines were approved, 
the uh, regulatory bodies in the United States, the CDC and others say, ignore all that. Don't worry about it. Pregnant women, vaccinate them. COVID recovery patients, vaccinate them. So for the first time in medical history in the United States, regulatory science and the laws related to regular science were completely violated. So it is clear that COVID-19 has been probably since May all about mass vaccination. And there's no regard to laws. There is a, a very straightforward communication program. In December, it was announced the Trusted News Service. That was the BBC, CNN, and all the major news media. They have banded together to uh, filter any type of news going on regarding the vaccine to, in a sense, put a positive spin on it for public health reasons so individuals are not frightened from receiving the vaccine. So so people who turn on the news are getting a very uh, intentional shaping of what's going on. And by the way, like in the United States, there is no window to the outside world. We would never know that just a few hours south of us in Central America, they are handing out treatment kits to patients with COVID based on hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, doxycycline, steroids. Just a few hours south of where I am in Texas, there are home treatment kits being distributed. We would never see a single glimpse of this. You would never know that in Pakistan and Russia and five other countries, there's an oral drug. It's like oral remdesivir called favipiravir. It works great. In fact, it's specifically approved to treat COVID. You would hear no word about it in the United States. So absolutely positively, the media is working to create a maximum amount of fear, desperation, isolation, and preparing the population for mass vaccination. Interesting with the media. I mean, probably a bad word to use media or journalists, maybe advertising guru or marketer, because that's what they are for the government and other large corporations. They, uh, you know, the censorship is just, just uh, enormous. Uh, just uh, with yourself personally, um, I would imagine that you're not immune to censorship from uh, those that control our destiny at the moment. Well, the censorship is uh, enormous. I've been very disappointed in the medical literature, and that's just my wheelhouse. I mean, I um, uh, produce scientific manuscripts. I opine on data. I produce original data. I'm the editor of two major journals. And I can tell you it's very usual that a scientific manuscript would be submitted to a journal, and within a day, the reviewers would be assigned, and the manuscript would be sent out for a review, and we would kind of get everything back to the author within about 30 days with this, the next round of edits to a manuscript. That would be standard. Let me give you an example. Uh, with a, a, a manuscript, which is a meta-analysis of the prospective randomized outpatient trials of hydroxychloroquine that were all stopped administratively early, all stopped early. When they're assembled together, hydroxychloroquine is associated with a significant relative risk reduction for the outcomes of COVID-19 infection, hospitalization, and death. So positive story for hydroxychloroquine. Well, let me tell you, submitted to a major medical journal, that paper intentionally sat in the editorial office for three months before the reviewers were assigned. And then it was another three months for the reviewers to get the reviews back. And then after six months, the response back to the authors were, sorry, we're not interested. You have to move on. So science is being killed now, but this form of censorship, it can be censorship by delay. We literally can be delayed out of uh, being able to get important scientific information 
forward. This is happening in all forms of early treatment, hydroxychloroquine, favipiravir, ivermectin, uh, colchicine, the use of steroids, antithrombotics, anything that would actually allow doctors to uh, detect signals of benefit and assemble drugs into treatment regimens. So I've gone ahead and done that for the world. Like I said, I published the first paper doing this uh, in uh, August of 2020, and I've published the update in December of 2021. I've broken through these barriers. These are the only two papers that exist that give a framework of how a patient should be treated for early COVID-19 with the goals of reducing hospitalization and death. And when that's done, in two separate analyses, one by Proctor and one by Zelenko, this approach reduces hospitalizations and death by a stunning 85%. Mm. Mm. Stunning. That's amazing. So you can, as a stakeholder for a vaccine, an early treatment, a pivot to early treatment would really quash any um, uh, strong interest in mass vaccination. And so you can imagine the stakeholders for vaccination are strongly against early treatment. Just uh, just quickly, if somebody wants to find out more about your organization or about your research, how would they do that, Peter? I think the best place to go is to the Association of American Surgeons and Physicians, uh, aapsonline.org, and that will have the COVID home treatment guide. It will have videos, uh, the access to the uh, key guidance manuscripts. There's even a patient survey for patients and family members to fill out um, their journey with COVID. Did they receive any early treatment or not? Uh, Were they denied treatment by their doctors or hospitals? We wanna tell the story because as you intimated, even if the plan is for mass vaccination and that's all for the greater good, um, in my view, the end of mass vaccination didn't justify the means. And if the means were to keep the population in fear, suffering, hospitalization and death, and blocking treatments that could have reduced the intensity and duration of illness and reduced hospitalization and death, I think it's immoral. And I think historians, when all this is uncovered, historians will be incredibly unkind to those stakeholders for mass vaccination who work through so many channels to censor um, uh, vital information to get the people suffering with a potentially fatal illness. Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you very much. From the US, from Las Vegas, the man who has had COVID-19 and came out of it with short hair, Kirk Clyde. (laughs) Well, well, I'm I'm showing you this hat because I'm doing some cleaning up, some early spring cleaning. We made it to 20 today in Las Vegas, rest of America freezing, but the fabulous Southwest is fabulous. And this is a hat from a station that actually brought me down to interview with them to be their uh, news anchor about seven years ago, WTVY in rural Dothan, Alabama. And wow. I, I looked around, I almost, because I had some relatives in the area, and I, it might be kind of interesting, but no, I think that would have been a tragic mistake. But uh, still, kind of interesting to have. Can you imagine me being a TV news anchor in Dothan, Alabama? Maybe I could have changed some hearts and minds. But tell us about, we're talking about COVID today. Uh, yes. All airline travelers going to the U.S. face restrictions It must be tested before travel. Now, are there any restrictions applying to travelers flying from, say, one state to another, say, maybe uh, L.A. or sorry, California to uh, to, uh, Washington or or places like that? Well, more so even than Australia, because if you go, say, in Western Australia, it's half the continent. So if you go from uh, Perth to, say, 
up to uh, north uh, northwestern uh, Western Australia. You know, that's an interstate or that's an in-state trip. Mm. Most, of course, travel that we have in the United States is interstate. There are a few exceptions. For instance, here, Las Vegas up to Reno, San Francisco down to Los Angeles. But most travel is controlled by the federal government as far as rules such as COVID. However, there are some state exceptions. The state of Hawaii requires that everyone have a negative COVID test or you're going to get put into quarantine. And what's interesting is the economics and the dynamics of how this is done. Now, of course, being as fiscally conservative as I am, my COVID tests, including the one that turned out positive, which they got back to me the next day. I mean, that was very efficient. But the ones that aren't positive, it sometimes takes three, four days. And these tests, for instance, to go to Hawaii, you have to have a negative test within 72 hours. So how do you get that? Private industry has come back into play, and a number of uh, testing firms, including the big one that we have in the U.S., Quest Diagnostics, they're making a cottage industry out of this. And one of the amazing things that I have seen as we've gone through this COVID crisis, now approaching 11, March 17th was the day it really Mm. began when the casinos shut down, and more importantly for me, the buffets shut down. <laughs> I can still I can still taste that corned beef. But one of the things that's happened that's fascinating is that it's become much more of a do-it-yourself society for medical care. And this may not be a good thing because a year ago, I don't think I had any idea what a pulse oximeter was. And it's become my best friend over this uh, COVID crisis so far this year. It's the thing you stick on your finger. Mm. And what you do, because I'm so amped up the mic ryan my heart rate might be up but what you do is you take a look at it if you don't have one this is something you should probably put in your medical tool chest and i'm okay right now pulse at 71 and pulse oximeter at 95 95 percent oxygen blood saturation which is okay usually like to see it 96 to 98 but i've kind of been running low and still recovering from covid it got down to 90 when I had COVID, a new mm. reporting today, as we record from the New York Times, shows that Donald Trump actually dipped into the 80s when he had COVID. So he was a sick boy and mm. recovered there. But, you know, this is, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Who two, three, five years ago had one of these at their homes? They're not that expensive, maybe $20, $25 U.S. But this is one of the things you have to because medical care is so difficult to get Mm. here in the United States. Even though we're seeing a decline, thankfully, in COVID cases, you have to be your own best advocate when it comes to medical care. And that means Mm. knowing things like what your blood oxygen level Mm. is. Look, off off script here, um, you went through the whole thing and you were touch and go whether you would go to hospital or not. Right. Um, Right. Do you think it's odd, though, that... There is no early treatment for COVID. They, they say, go home and fingers crossed, you won't have to go to hospital. Then, now, other countries around the world, uh, not Western countries, but other countries are using uh, early treatment uh, processes such as hydroxychloroquine and, and stuff like that, ivermectin, and having great success. Why do you think there's this... Uh, is almost taboo. Don't don't talk about hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or whatever. Just go to bed, go home and uh, isolate. And if you don't get really sick, you'll be all right, which seems like a fairly poor way to treat a disease, doesn't it? What's interesting is the state of Oklahoma got stuck with $2 million worth of 
hydro, hydro I think I have a metal block. I think mm. COVID did that to me. It made it impossible for me to say it. But Oklahoma got stuck with $2 million of that stuff when Donald Trump was trying to pump it up. And now they're like, yeah, anybody want it? Mm. Any, no, there's not a big market for but hydro. But even, even in, in Europe, the, the shares just today have, mm. in fact, it's gone up by 2,000%. So that would sort of intimate because there are South American countries and others that are now using this mm. early treatment, which seems like the way to do it before you get really sick. So you would think if something goes up in value by 2,000% overnight, that maybe the uh, the attitude from uh, Western authorities is somewhat uh, changing. Well, maybe the folks in Oklahoma can find a market to get rid of the $2 million worth of this drug that they bought, Mm. because clearly there's no demand. And Mm. I haven't seen any uh, peer-reviewed medical research of this thing I can't pronounce for some unknown brain fade reason Mm. that uh, that there is a benefit to using this, because Mm. people certainly are looking for benefits. And, you know, just to show you the 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 difference in difference in mindset that we have in the United States versus, say, in Australia. We were down today. This is probably the lowest day we've had in really months here in Nevada. I think it was 653 new cases. Mm. And we're saying, hey, we can start opening up more. Mm. Can you imagine if where you are in Queensland in Australia, you had a day with 653 cases in Brisbane, what people would be doing? We shut down down here, Kirk, uh, with no cases. So, I mean, we're we're way below you guys, which is probably a blessing in some way because we have such gorgeous beaches here. Now, uh, illegal immigrants are not being treated at the southern border. This appears contradictory to rules affecting U.S. citizens. Well, this is, here again, you have to consider the source of where this is coming from. I think we're seeing a tremendous change in what's happening on the border. We're certainly going to allow more immigrants in. And remember, no one is illegal. They may be undocumented immigrants. Mm. But these are folks, you know, I've had a chance to work with, uh, what's one of the great things about being here in Nevada, is I've had a chance to work with some immigrants, mainly from East Africa, and the fact that these people come here is just an unbelievable amount of courage. You know, Donald Trump used to say, oh, they're not sending their best and their brightest. But at least the folks from Africa that I worked with, they are. These are some courageous, tough people. Mm. And you know, these folks in Central America, they wouldn't want to try to get to the U.S. unless they had no choice. Mm. And I'm sure I do have confidence that is one of the big changes. Now we're a little more than three weeks into the Biden administration. But right now. This is probably not one of the big pressing concerns that Mm. we have here in the United States. The pressing concern, of course, is to get schools open. And that's one thing that Joe Biden said he'd do within the first hundred days of his administration. And we shall see how that goes. It's going to be fascinating. Of course, uh, some major school districts, such as Philadelphia, they are saying that they are not going, the teachers are not going to go back in until they're vaccinated. So Mm. you have all kinds of strange dynamics. You have O.J., who's O.J. Simpson, who's 73 years old, he got his vaccine here in Las Vegas. But my mother lives across the country, 84 years old, 84, and she can't get her vaccine. So Mm. there's still really not equitable distribution and all kinds of controversy on how these vaccines are being distributed. But I just heard some news today that it'll be hopefully open vaccination starting in April. And I just hope my immunity 
Mm. will last until then, until I can uh, get that shot in in April. But the border issue, I'm sure Fox Mm. News and Mm. Sky News, they'll start to ramp that up in the next uh, couple of months for some reason about some issue. But right now, not a hot button issue that we have in the U.S. Mm. And just to digress back to what you said about the states, Hawaii, they certainly make sense for them to have the uh, no covid Make sure you have no COVID before arriving in the islands. And if you do, you have to do that quarantine Mm. for two weeks. But for some of the other states, the logistics would be fascinatingly difficult to put on. There's a service you can get called Clear, which you pay about, I don't know, about 150 a year from. They would help uh, get your test and make sure that you are cleared to fly. But for the average citizen, this would really bog things down. And it'll be interesting to see because it does seem that we are getting close to the fact that we can get the dog shut up in the uh, and and the vaccine to silence the average person (laughs) to be silenced. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe impossible. Tell me this: uh, you you, because you had COVID, are you eligible for the vaccine, or were you needed? No, no, no. I the second stab me now, baby, stab me now. If I could, no, no, no. There, there's the. Basic medical research, which I know, and I wish my daughter was here, who's an MD, mm. she could fill you in more. But the basic information that I have is if you do have COVID, you do generate antibodies. And I had a fairly severe case, not, mm. as we mentioned, tough enough for hospitalization. But the hope is that those tests, those antibodies will last for at least 90 days. So you figure out had it in January, that'd be February, March, April. So as long as I can get a shot, before May 1st, I'll be okay, hopefully. There's no guarantee in life. Hopefully be okay. But absolutely, I want to get that shot and uh, pretty much any other shot, any other vaccine that's available. Mm. The anti-vaxxers truly blow my mind how anybody can say this is not something you should do. You should do it for yourself and you should do it for your community. And uh, as one who's had it, believe me, you don't want to get it. Now, you're in great demand, not only from us, not only from 6PR in Perth and uh, 3AW at times in Melbourne, Australia. That's right. You're also right. in great demand from evil. Now, I, I hear translated translated from doggy to human language. It's saying right. walkies, walkies. No, dog park, yeah, walkies. dog park. Yeah, all right. Look, take it, take it easy. Uh, great chatting. Uh, glad you're on the up and up and uh, very interesting. Your comments about COVID-19 and the vaccine. And it is something that will be debated as we go along and whether we can uh, make use of early treatments such as hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. What? What's, that? Hi- what's that? Again? Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Look, I did it. Hydroxychloroquine. (laughs) So you're getting better. You are getting better. And by the way, just one thing, you know, it's fascinating, too. That's one of the things that's happened, just to wrap up, is these medical diagnostic companies, they want you to schedule your own test. I get emails, oh, 15% off your antibody test. So they are looking at this as a profit center. And yeah, I could go get an antibody test, but I don't feel like spending $119 on it. So no, no. it's really interesting how it's become self-service medicine mm. in the United States. Did you ever had one of these before? No, but I have had a self-service open heart surgery. And that, let me tell you, um, I didn't find any heart in there. Kirk Clyde from Las Vegas, Bye. along with Evil. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Bye. Thank you.